everyone, welcome back to TTT, the Talking Transport Transformation Podcast brought to you by Tumi, the Transformative Urban Mobility Initiative. Welcome to this episode of our podcast where we have the pleasure of speaking with Kesha Mayuga, a remarkable feminist voice in the field of transportation. Kesha is a cycling activist and researcher who has worked in both the Philippines and Germany. Her work focuses on creating transport systems that are inclusive, accessible and safe for all individuals, regardless of their gender identity. For her outstanding work, she was honored as a remarkable feminist voice and as part of Women Mobilized Women's Feminist Voices in Transport celebrations, we actually had the chance to interview her. In this interview, Kesha will share with us her insights on what a feminist transport system looks like, the challenges women face when it comes to mobility and transportation in different parts of the world, and what we can do to create a more equitable and just society through policy and advocacy work. We'll also hear about her transformative experiences that led her to become a passionate advocate for feminist policy and transport and the principles that guide her work. So without further ado, let's dive right in and listen to Kesha's thoughts on how we can create a more feminist and equitable transport system for all. Hi Kesha, so nice to meet you, to see you here in Berlin. Let's dive right in and talk about feminism and transport. Okay. In your view, what is a feminist transport system? For me, I always think about if a woman, a pregnant woman with her children could get to the hospital without needing a car, that is a feminist transport system. If, if my grandma can go to the groceries with no difficulty and go home in one piece, that is a feminist transport system. And maybe in the future, if, you know, I do decide to have children, I can, you know, go to work and, you know, be at peace because they can go to school by themselves and go home. I think that is a feminist transport system because, you know, we, a lot of these things were, we're really having a lot of difficulty doing the everyday things, which shouldn't even be happening. So that's what I'm really working towards, making it better. That's a great image. Thank you. So you are active as a cycling activist. Um, so how did your enthusiasm for biking come about? Why biking? Yeah, so I learned how to cycle when I was seven. And ever since then, I've been exploring a lot on the bicycle, even as a child, even, you know, without my parents' knowledge. <laughs> But and, um, and then it stopped when I had to go to university or even to school because my parents had always now dropped me off. And then I just rediscovered it in university when I thought, you know, it's ridiculous how I have to take 30, 40 minutes to um, get to my class when it's just so close. And so I tried walking it and it still took 30 to 40 minutes. And then I finally decided maybe I'll try to cycle this. So I borrowed my father's bike, just telling him, yeah, I'm just gonna bike it around, uh, you know, nowhere unsafe. <laughs> But of course I cycled going to school already and um, beside huge trucks, beside huge buses right. and really fast cars. And then I discovered, you know what? Cycling is so fast and efficient. I just 
have to risk my life every day. <laughs> and so that's, I think, how I really got into uh, pushing for cycling as a form of transport um, in university again. So, yeah. Yeah, I see. So has there been a transformative experience that has guided you in your work and your motivation? I would say my mobility uh, origin story here. <laughs> um, this back in 2016, and that wasn't so long ago, but I had just graduated with my degree in journalism, actually, from university, and I was working with a colleague, and we would um, carpool going home, and she was telling me, you know, um, ever since we started around the same time, so we were kind of new, and she was telling me ever since I started this job, I never saw my three-year-old son again, because every time I leave the office, he's he would be asleep or tired, and every time I had to leave for work from home, I would uh, leave at 5 a.m., and he would still be asleep. And so I thought about like how our transport system was really taking so much time from life, mm -hmm. from us living our lives, from from mothers seeing their children, and also like for us to do the things that we love doing. But you know, here we are, or at least at that time, um, stuck for two two and a half hours in one trip, or maybe even up to five hours in a day, just trying to get home. So I wanted to change that. And the day that my colleague told me that story, I actually sat down and write, wrote down my goal for myself, which was to get people home in 30 minutes, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is really hard in the Philippines, actually. I see. So would that be one of your principles in, that's guiding your work, that 30-minute rule? Um, it's quite difficult because uh, as soon as I really started studying about how that happens, it's, of course, it's like, you know, an intersectional problem. There's land use, there's labor, there's housing. Um, but I'm still trying to, that is kind of my goal is to make it more also equitable, to allow like grandmas and children to use transport to get home in 30 minutes or at least um, safe and dignified. Um, so that's what's really guiding me um, in my work. Yeah, are there any other principles you would like mention that, that are important to you? I think that's mostly it. And also for me, I think I mentioned it earlier, I've not, I've at this moment, I've decided not to have a child, even if I'm like, you know, 30-ish and people are expecting this. But I told myself that if I ever chose to have a child, I want the child to have, um, to live in an area where he or she could freely walk and cycle. Right. So unless I make that world for my child, then I have to keep working towards that. <laughs> All right, I see. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice sentiment. Um, so you have worked and lived both in the Philippines and in Germany. And my question would be, um, what are some of the biggest challenges that women face when it comes to mobility and access to transportation in the Philippines? And then in comparison, what's it like in Berlin? Yeah, so I always ask this question to myself. I mean, like, why do I feel safe walking or cycling in Berlin at 3 a.m.? Mm. <laughs> Versus if I did it in the Philippines where I feel like I might die. Um, 
So let me first like describe what it's like actually in the Philippines and what it's like to travel there. Um, I used to cycle everywhere. And before that, I was using public transport a lot. And sometimes I also drove like my personal or my family car. And it would really be a struggle um, for women in particular, um, women who walk. It's like a huge risk. You really have to be with a group, with other women or, you know, with other people to feel safe. And even when you take public transport, uh, there's really a lot of sexual harassment that's not even been reported. Like even I've had experiences of sexual harassment in public transport that I haven't reported because I don't know if it will do anything. So actually, that's one of the reasons why also I started cycling. Because for me, it's sexual harassment versus getting hit by a bus. Those are really <laughs> terrible options. Um, but at least, you know, I can navigate a little better um, with with my bike. And I can get to places faster at least. But, you know, women shouldn't have to way between those terrible options. And so, um, yeah, those are really the challenges that women are facing, I feel. And even when you're cycling, there's still catcalling, which is like, come on, I'm just trying to get to work or go home or go to the groceries. You still have to catcall me as a women cyclist. So that still happens. Um, but so like in comparison to the things that I'm learning here in Germany and Berlin, I also realized that a lot of it is so dependent on the culture because I feel like here in Berlin, it's so, so liberal and more men are cognizant also of this gender equality of, you know, empowering women or not belittling them and consent and all those things. So I think that's like one of the reasons why I feel safer at least. And of course, the infrastructure is there and everything. But even if the infrastructure is there, I wouldn't be feeling safe walking um, in the Philippines with the Berlin infrastructure if I know that the culture is different. If the culture is still towards um, sexually harassing women or belittling women, then I still wouldn't feel that safe. So um, I think it's those things that we forget when we're planning for transport is that a lot of it is also trying to shift the culture. Um, yeah, so those are just some learnings that I realized um, mm -hmm. living here for a year. Yeah, I see. Yeah, it's a mindset thing, I guess. Yeah. And building on to, upon that, uh, what advice would you give to other advocates or policymakers who are interested in advancing feminist policy and transport um, and what can they do to make a difference in their communities? I think a lot of power rests on men until now. And so I really call on um, men, at least, to recognize the women or actually go to the room and ask the woman in the room, what do you think? That's so powerful because nobody ever asks us, what do we think? In my line of work, uh, I used to also work or push for different reforms, different experiments on the road. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to actually experiment these things if a man didn't say, hey, let's listen to this woman, you know? And I was lucky that I had a colleague like that to do this for me. 
Otherwise, you know, the men who control these policies, these the making who have the power to make decisions, um, would not listen to me. But now that you know we're kind of building up this empowering young female um, activists, I think it's so important to listen to the voice of women and to listen to the voices of young people because they're the ones who are building the world that they want. And we're, you know, we have to be open to that kind of change. So um, I think that's what I want to also remind policymakers to, you know, maybe you don't know everything. Maybe you should ask um, the people who would benefit from it and who want to build this future of our cities and our spaces. So I see. Yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self? You talked about the advice you would give to current policymakers, but on your journey, what would be something that you learned along the way that would help young Keisha? Um, get out of journalism. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, no. I think um, for me, I would like to tell myself to be kinder and to recognize even the, the capabilities that I could do because a lot of women face um, imposter syndrome. And for a long time, I was facing this because I, for example, a lot of the transport workers and the transport experts have a background in engineering or like some technical thing, you know, knowing like computations, etc. And me coming from a background of journalism, not knowing any of those things, but, you know, pushing for, you know, policies for and pushing for better streets. I don't know. I didn't know where I stood. So I would really tell myself to be a bit kinder and give myself credit, actually, to that I don't need to know the technical stuff. Um, and that was what was like a huge hang up for me from shifting into different industries. Honestly, it was just and then I found out that I could just, you know, I could still work in transport without being an engineer. And I'm really glad that I didn't become an engineer, actually. So, yeah. Yeah, I see. It, it's like uh, with what you said before, it's different perspectives. Yeah. And um, any background is an, is an asset um, in, yeah. when you consider diverse backgrounds, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so actually, one more question. Okay, uh, sure. Question. How do you feel being honored as a feminist voice in transport this week? How did you feel about it honestly when I rec received the email saying that I was I was just like who did this <laughs> who who am I what is this why uh, because I actually know of the publication for years and I've always been idolizing all the women that I'm really reading it and like oh my god I want to be like them and one of the people that I really look up to uh, was nominated the previous year from the Philippines also. And I was just like, oh my God, I gotta be like her. How do I be like that? She's like 10 years older than me. I have to work for 10 more years. And then when I found out that I was part of this, I was just like, whoa, no way. I didn't have to work 10 more years. Um, but honestly, there's so many other um, women out there that I'm so glad to meet. And that was the most exciting part for me. It wasn't because I was awarded or whatever. It was more of because I get to learn experiences from these other women. Like, 
amazing. And then I think, you know, getting over my imposter syndrome, I was also like, yeah, I totally belong in this room. <laughs> and, you know, other, and I also could name so many other women from the Philippines who could be part of this room and who would love to be part of it. And I'm just like one representative of like young women who are fighting for mobility in a space. And it's really nice to recognize this sometimes really thankless um, job because um, a lot of us are just doing it as a, a side thing or like because we want this sense of justice. It's not like we're necessarily being paid for this. I don't get up at 3 a.m. to to talk to um, Filipino activists because I'm being paid for it. I'm doing it because we need to keep this alive. So, um, yeah, that's just I was so touched to be part of this and to be recognized for the thankless and sometimes, you know, invisible work. And I hope that more women are recognized for the great work that they do around the world. Thank you so much, Isha, for taking the time and giving us and our listeners all these insights into your work. And yeah, congratulations again for being a remarkable feminist voice, rightfully, um, in transport. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of our podcast, where we had the pleasure of speaking with Kesha about feminist policy in transport. Kesha's dedication to creating more inclusive and accessible transport systems is truly inspiring and we're grateful for the opportunity to have learned from her expertise. We hope that you found this conversation as insightful and thought-provoking as we did. So Kesha, thank you again for joining us and sharing your knowledge and to our listeners, Thank you all for tuning in. We really look forward to bringing you more engaged content about mobility in the future. So until next time, 